You're listening to The Big Show with Patrick Dumas on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Yes, live from the Doug Lacey Basin Systems downtown studio. Worried about radon? We install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. Got a loaded hour number four of the big show. Uh, I'll be joined at 930. Uh, Nitro Cross is coming to Calgary next month. I'll be joined by one of the drivers. They'll be taking part in that event. He'll be calling in around 930. Uh, But right now, we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, Sportsnet, the new home of the UFC in Canada. And uh, we're joined by one of the best in the business, uh, MMA reporter, now with Sportsnet, Aaron Bronstetter. Aaron, thanks so much for taking some time out of your morning. You know, it's been busy, been doing the rounds. Thanks so much. Hey, Patrick, it's, uh, it takes one to know one, so I appreciate you having me on the big show with you today. Hey, no problem. Thanks for, thanks for hopping on with us. Uh, and welcome to Sportsnet. Welcome to the family. Uh, we're happy to be the new home of the UFC. And how's uh, been your first few days on, on the new job? Well, it's been great. You know, this is a wonderful place to be. It's, uh, of course, one of the uh, top sports outlets in the entire world, so it's just an absolute blessing to get a chance to work here. Yeah, no, uh, glad to have you here, buddy. And and the first event for you will be uh, this weekend, actually, uh, UFC uh, Vegas 84. It's a fight night headlined by uh, Magomed Ankalev and Johnny Walker. Now, these two met back in uh, October, uh, ended a little bit prematurely. Fill us in on these two. Yeah, so kind of an interesting situation. They were on that big card in in Abu Dhabi, and uh, Ankalev landed an unintentional illegal knee that Ooh. kind of rocked Johnny Walker, and uh, the doctor came in, and there was a bit of a language barrier. Johnny's uh, first language is Portuguese, obviously. His second language is uh, is English, and the doctor's from Abu Dhabi, so his first language, I don't believe, was English either. And uh, he asked Johnny, you know, where are you? You know, asking him questions to see if he has his wits about him. And Johnny answered, uh, I'm in the desert, which is technically accurate. True. He's in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> um, so he just really wanted to resume the fight, so he was just giving answers that he thought would uh, would – make the doctor happy. The doctor didn't give him a whole lot of time to recover and then just told the ref to call the fight off. So Johnny Walker was like incredulous in this moment. And uh, thankfully now they have the opportunity to run it back. It's the first event of the year for the UFC after, you know, the UFC's long off season of three weeks without an event. So everybody yeah. who follows the sport is very hungry to have the sport back. And uh, again, it's the first fight that Sportsnet has as part of this uh, new deal. So uh, very excited to get to, to cover this particular card. I think it's going to be a really fun main event. Yeah, uh, the prelims go at 3 o'clock, uh, main card at 5 o'clock on Saturday, all of it on Sportsnet 360. Anything else uh, stand out from that card? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the card as a whole has a lot of good fights, but another rematch I have my eye on is uh, Manel Kopp. Uh, he's going to be uh, taking on an individual who he fought, um, I, guess, I think it was his second UFC fight in Mateus Nicolau, a fight that had kind of a controversial decision. Kopp has really moved his way up the ladder in the flyweight division. I think he's going to fight for a championship one day, but he's going to have to avenge that loss to Nicolau in order to have that opportunity. I think that's a really fun fight on the card as well. Again, that will be Saturday. You can watch it on uh, Sportsnet 360. It'll be the first event uh, for Sportsnet since uh, getting uh, the UFC rights. Uh, the next time uh, UFC's on pay-per-view, it's going to be next Saturday in Toronto, Scotiabank Arena, UFC 297, uh, two title fights, and I believe six Canadians on that card. Yeah, it's uh, an awesome, awesome card uh, to 
kick off the new year. And, uh, you know, I kind of feel bad for the Calgarians out there because the card that happened in Vancouver last year was looked like it was trending towards Calgary, but the Flames just kept hanging in there yeah. long enough that they couldn't uh, <laughs> end up securing the building. So ends up in Vancouver. And if, if you watch that pay-per-view, the Canadians ran the table, went 7-0, and and now uh, they have the opportunity again to shine on uh, – Canadian soil for this this card on the, the 20th of January, which you can uh, you can order on Sportsnet Plus. And uh, Sean Strickland is Drikas Dupaisi main event for the championship at the middleweight division. That should be a fun one. Uh, yeah, so talk about Sean Strickland and Drikas Duplessis. I believe Strickland's ranked seventh among pound per pound for uh, pound per pound fighters. Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. But you know, he had a, a really incredible 2023. It was coming off a loss at the end of 2022. And then uh, speaking of running the table, he went 3-0 and last year. Uh, early on in the year, got a win against uh, Nazardine Imavov, then followed that up with a win uh, against um, Magomedov, Abus Magomedov, and um, ended up getting a title shot just because Israel Adesanya, the champion, had run through every other challenger really the division had, was supposed to face Drake as Duplessis. Duplessis wanted to heal some injuries, so Strickland kind of you know, snuck into the spot and really made the most of it because he had a brilliant performance against Israel uh, to secure the championship. Uh, Israel had just won it back earlier in the year, and now Strickland is is the champion, and Duplessis is getting that opportunity to fight for the championship uh, here in Toronto. And I think this is going to be an amazing matchup. You've got two of the best volume fighters in the middleweight division you know, going to try to pressure each other and see who's going to crack first. Talking to me about Mike Malott. He's the Canadian that's uh, one of the Canadians that's going to be on that card next week in Toronto. His brother Jeff Malott is in the plays with the Manitoba Moose. Plays a little hockey as well. So uh, yeah, this is a this is a guy who's on a five, I believe a six match uh, win streak right now. Uh, last fought at that UFC 289 last uh, June in Vancouver. Just talk to me about this guy's style. Well, Mike is just an absolute action fighter, and he is uh, an incredibly cerebral fighter who's always able to find openings and capitalize on them. He's got all of these finishes uh, most of it. I think all of his wins in his professional career are by finish, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, that's just the kind of fighting style he has. And when you're a Canadian welterweight, people are always going to think to probably the two best Canadian fighters to ever do it in George St. Pierre uh, and Rory McDonald. And if you want to put Carlos Newton in that equation, Mm -hmm. you're looking at welterweight as well, right? So there's a long lineage of great welterweights that come out of Canada. And Mike Mallott is the next in that line. I guess we're, we're, we're kind of zeroing in on, we're coming up to the date. It's a little under four months now, I guess, until UFC 300 uh, rolls into Vegas. That's that's the next big calendar date. Obviously, UFC likes to pull out all the stops, you know, 100, 200. You know, and this one, you know, they're not going to have Conor McGregor, who's going to be making his return later on this year in June. Uh, so that's one big name that's not at Dana White's disposal. And then there's two more names uh, out there in Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal. Uh, they're going to be boxing, uh, so they're going to be out of it. So what's kind of the whole deal with UFC 300? I know there's there's some matches on the card, but for somebody that you know isn't all into the UFC and they come in for the big cards and the big names, what is uh, what is the UFC trying to pull off for for their big show in April? Yeah, that's certainly the prevailing story heading into 2024 because they just announced much of the UFC 299 card taking place in Miami in March, and it is just absolutely stacked to the rafters with talent. So it makes you wonder, what kind of stops are they going to pull out for UFC 300 to make it actually better than that card? Because that card is like a 
nine and a half out of ten. <laughs> so what can they do for UFC 300 to make it an absolute ten out of ten? You mentioned McGregor's not going to be on the card because he's going to be fighting at International Fight Week in late June. So who are they going to be able to bring to the table that is going to bring in the, I guess, the casual audience, the, the, the audience buys. that are going to be, yeah. yeah, that are going to bring in the, the exactly the pay-per-view buys. So you, you look at names like Ronda Rousey or George St. Pierre, and start to think outside the box like that. And I thought that when this boxing match with Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal got announced, while neither of them are with the UFC, I mean, technically Masvidal is retired, but is still under contract to the UFC. And I guess they're going to let him do this boxing match against Diaz. It kind of takes away two names that you could have used for box office appeal. So with those names starting to dwindle down, you start to wonder what exactly can they do to appeal to a broader audience? And really, you know, outside of those names, I mentioned like a Rousey GSP, maybe a Brock Lesnar, those names are starting to dwindle a little bit, which I think has a lot of the fan base very curious as to what they're going to be able to pull off of that card. And it, now, is is Brock Lesnar even an option? I know, like, if you give him enough money, there, there's probably a chance. But at 46, you know, like he last fought at UFC, what 200 was his last 200. card? Yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah. 100 cards would be the or 99 cards or whatever between the the two. So is Lesnar a, a realistic option, or is this guy, you know, like I'm I'm fine with with doing my part time with with WWE and everything? Well, money talks. Yeah. So. I would say everybody's an option <laughs> when you keep that in mind. But uh, is he a realistic option? I, I, I don't know. I'm not certain that he would want to come back and do that and have to train for yeah. an event like that, especially when it's we're so talking quick. about unless this was already booked yeah. like in advance and they, they're just keeping it under wraps. I mean, that, that event's starting to really sneak up on us. Uh, like I guess like the, the, the UFC 300. I know like obviously you want the big names, but obviously we're trying. We're seeing a whole influx of of new international talent, younger names that you know a lot of people like if if they they went to bed seven years ago, never watched another UFC match, and they woke up today and like oh my god, who the heck are these people? Is the UFC doing like a really good job? You think in your mind of of developing these younger fighters and getting them into to places that that they want to be and and at the top. Well, I think so. I think they're, they're doing a good job of building new talents. You look at Sean O'Malley headlining that big UFC 299 yes. card as an example. But uh, I think that really the brand itself has become such a strong force in sports that like the name value of a lot of these fighters, unless you're looking to appeal to that casual audience, is almost secondary to what people know they're going to get with these UFC cards because there hasn't really been a dud in a while. Uh, I, would, I would say probably the last one would have been like last December is the last pay-per-view that I can really remember not really delivering the goods. That was mm-hmm. the one that ended with a draw with Ankalaev, who's fighting this weekend, taking on Jan Blachowicz, uh after the original main event for that uh, card fell off like maybe like nine days before the card. So it's been a while since the UFC have really had a, a pay-per-view that didn't deliver the goods. And I think that the people that are becoming accustomed to watching all of the different pay-per-views uh, are expecting uh, you know, to have a, a solid night of entertainment almost regardless of who's on the card. We're talking with uh, Aaron Bronsetter, MMA reporter for Sportsnet, UFC, uh, the Sportsnet, the new home uh, for the UFC, and, and GVP joining me as well. Hey, Aaron, I uh, wanted to ask you about some of the bigger stars in the sport as well and what's uh, potentially next for them. Pa- Patrick mentioned there, Conor McGregor making his fight announcement against Michael Chandler in a bizarre video on Instagram. If things go south for McGregor in this one again, it would be three losses in a row now. Could this be potentially the last time we see the, uh, the notorious one if he has another tough outing? Yeah, Garrett. I mean, I think the UFC will keep him around for as long as he wants to be around. I, you know, I think right. that if he loses seven in a row, eight in a row, I mean, he's always going to be a draw. He's Conor McGregor. 
he's the biggest sport that, sorry the biggest star that this sport has ever had so uh, I think that that'll come down to Connor's discretion. Like, I don't think the UFC are going to part ways with him anytime soon, even if he lays an absolute egg against uh, Michael Chandler. So I think it's going to really be at Connor's discretion because, I mean, the guy's got enough money to have retired six years yeah. ago if he wanted to. But it seems like the love of the sport continues to fuel him to sign new matchups. And uh, I think that the UFC will have him for as long as he's willing to stay. Uh, what did you make of that fight potentially being at 185 pounds, like uh, what McGregor announced on Instagram? I don't think it's ideal. Like, I believe that you're not going to get the best out of these two guys at 185 pounds. I know mm-hmm. that McGregor doesn't really want to cut weight. But uh, 185 pounds for Conor McGregor, you'd almost be bloated at that weight, in my opinion. And I think you could probably say the same for Michael Chandler. I mean, that's kind of their walk-around weight. Um, so I, I'm actually curious to see what kind of weight they would weigh in at. Are they going to weigh yeah. in at 185? Are they going to weigh in at 177? You know, what, what are they going to do in terms of uh, – how big they want to be for that fight. Because just because you're bigger doesn't make you a better fighter. A lot of fighters aren't used to carrying around that kind of bulk and fighting a five-round fight with that sort of uh, extra added weight. So I'm very curious as to what the thought process is for 185 pounds. And, you know, McGregor plays these games sometimes. He knows that he calls the shots. Mm -hmm. So if at, uh, you know, a month before the event, he says, you know what, I want this fight to be at 170 pounds. You know, like, don't put it past him to do something like that. Yeah, he can basically just do whatever he wants at this point. It'll be pretty interesting to see him moving up to his fourth weight class and potentially picking up a win there. Uh, another one of the brash characters that the UFC has is Colby Covington, and he's coming off a loss to Leon Edwards in that welterweight championship fight. And it feels like he's at a very confusing point in his career. What do you think is next for him, and what's a potential opponent for Covington? Well, he called out Wonderboy Thompson, and... I think that stylistically that's a great matchup for him, but I'm, I also don't think it's as easy a matchup as a lot of people are making it out to be. I think that Wonderboy could give Colby Covington a lot of problems with his stand-up, with his distance management. Uh, just to be frank, like I, I've always thought Colby Covington was a great fighter, yeah. and um, I think a lot of you know we're seeing a lot of revisionist history with people saying that he was never any good and he never fought top competition. I don't agree with a lot of that. I think that when he was was making his way up the welterweight rankings. We we got to see he was a really solid fighter, good at using volume and and utilizing his wrestling paired with his you know relentless pace and his cardio. I think that the Colby coming in that showed up for that last fight looked absolutely terrible. I I, I just it, it was a mind-bogglingly bad performance where it looked like he was trying harder not to lose than he was to win and not to get get knocked out and he was actually trying to to win that fight. Um, it was about as flat of a performance as I've seen in some time in the championship bout. So I think a fight against Wonderboy Thompson would be a really good way to see where both those guys are at in their career. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you can take away much from Wonderboy from his performance against a guy like Shavkat Rachmana, who's mm-hmm. probably the best prospect in the UFC right now. So um, that, that's what makes it very interesting for me. I uh, wanted to ask you about one other star in the sport. He's actually outside the UFC right now, but what are your thoughts on Francis Ngannou and what he's done as as of late? I personally think he won that fight against Tyson Fury in their crossover boxing match, but uh, he'll now be fighting Anthony Joshua. What have you made of Francis Ngannou and kind of this crossover thing that he's going to be doing and venturing into another boxing match here with uh, Anthony Joshua? No, I had never been interested in these MMA versus boxing crossover fights um, in boxing. To me, I always just thought that they were like, you look at what Jake Paul did to a lot of different UFC fighters in boxing, and it kind of made them look silly. That changed when I saw Francis Ngannou fight Tyson Fury. And even before that boxing match, I said, hey, you know, at the end of the day, these are two heavyweights. And they both have big power. 
We haven't really seen Francis get dropped before. He's got a great chin. Let's see how this plays out. I, I wasn't going to write off Francis Ngannou in that spot. I thought, you know, I think Tyson Fury is going to win a decision here. Is what my thought was actually going into that, which mm-hmm. in hindsight looked pretty smart. I didn't think he was going to be able to knock Francis Ngannou out. And um, I think that Francis Ngannou really kind of made this crossover boxing with mixed martial artists crossing over something of real value now. I mean, he's now ranked in the, uh, I think it's the WBA boxing rankings, you know, after that performance against Fury. And uh, I don't know the boxing scoring criteria that well. So I think watching the fight, you could say, hey, you know, I thought Francis won, but I don't really know how boxing matches are scored in terms of the actual judging. um, There's definitely a lot of gray area there. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it's hard for me to say definitively that I thought that he won that fight, but he certainly looked way better than I think anybody gave him credit for how they thought he would look in that one and, and has turned the boxing world, especially in the heavyweight division, on its head. Um, this fight against Anthony Joshua is something I'm actually very, very intrigued about, and I, I'm, I'm really happy for Francis that he's been able to um, make this into a, a career for himself in addition to MMA. Um, and I think when it comes to how someone has approached the business of mixed martial arts, that when you look back and you look at Francis Ngannou betting on himself, I think that his bet is probably the best bet that anybody from mixed martial arts has ever made on themselves. Uh, Aaron, uh, we, we read, we hear, we see all the, the Brazilian talent that rolls through the UFC. It's, uh, it's been two decades plus of it, and it still is coming. But uh, another country that, uh, that's, uh, that's coming, and uh, they just had a signing of Luis Ronaldo Rodriguez. Uh, the UFC now has 20 Mexican-born fighters uh, for the first time in, uh, in its history. So just, you know, and you think of Mexico, like this is a, this is a country that they, they put out boxing. This is a boxing country. They're great there. But now you're starting to see MMA and and the and Mexicans taking over that like how 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 is it with the with the UFC in Mexico right now? Well, it's pretty amazing. Like this is the first time I think, like you just mentioned, that they've ever had twenty Mexican fighters on the roster. And if you look back a year ago, they were having a trajectory where they were potentially going to have three champions last yeah. year for Mexico. You had Irina Aldana fight Amanda Nunes for the championship in June. You had uh, Yair Rodriguez as the interim champion uh, after beating Josh Emmett, and then he was going to face Volkanovski in July. And you had uh, Brandon Moreno in the flyweight division. So it could have, uh, you know, actually uh, been four champions. You had Alexa Grasso as well. So uh, they were trending in a way that was just absolutely unreal last year. Now, ultimately, at the end of the year, the only remaining champion from Mexico is Alexa Grasso. But I don't think that you could have ever imagined, especially when you, when you say 20. So you're talking about four of 20 uh, that, that could have been the champions potentially last year. Like, that's a, that's a pretty... In, and again, it was less than 20 last year. That's a pretty ratio. unbelievable percentage <laughs> of fighters at the top of divisions, considering how many there actually were in the UFC. So, um, you know, Mexico has historically been a, a country that has brought a lot of incredible boxers mm-hmm. into the fold. And I think we're starting to see a changing of the guard where a lot of these Mexican combat sports athletes are starting to gravitate towards, um, you know, mixed martial arts. And we have uh, a Canadian, the Mex- Mexican Canadian. Um, named Lupi Godinez right now, who's ranked in the UFC. I think she's the only Canadian right now that is, is currently ranked. Okay. Um, and she's starting to really make an name for herself. You could argue that she was the female fighter of the year last year, went 4-0, the only Canadian, sorry, or the only female fighter, rather, to ever go 4-0 in a single year in UFC history. Um, and, you know, she's part of that crop of great Mexican fighters. Um, and her sisters are actually trying to become wrestling Olympians for Canada right now. Oh, so awesome. a, a strong lineage of, of, yeah, of athletes in the combat realm uh, with the, uh, the Godinez family. 
Uh, it's, and it's been a little bit over three months since uh, the the merger with uh, with WWE UFC making TKO, and I think we see uh, the business is booming over uh, on the pro wrestling side of things. But and obviously, uh, the UFC is a powerhouse. But how do you think they've handled uh, handled the whole merger here? Well, I think it's still yet to be seen exactly what the fallout from that will be and how things shake up. I was the only real thing that has happened um, with any sort of overlap is that I believe their corporate sponsorship divisions kind of merged mm. and I think maybe they, they like uh, might have gotten rid of some on each side so they could bring them together so uh, I'm not exactly sure what the crossover is going to be they still have separate TV deals there's not really any sort of co-promotion that we've seen uh, from an advertising standpoint because you know one is associated with Disney yes. and the other is associated with Comcast so you've got two kind of media juggernauts on other sides of the table with the, the respective rights so uh, kind of interesting in that sense. Uh, do you have anything we plan we're going to be seeing over the next uh, few weeks uh, leading up to or maybe heading up and leading into UFC 297 next week in Toronto that we'll be uh, able to see on Sportsnet Central? Oh, yeah. I mean, you've got more things that you can shake a stick at. So make sure that you uh, check out Sportsnet Central. We've got a lot of different features. We've got one with Mike Malott, one with Jasmine Jazdavicious. And uh, you can order the pay-per-view on Sportsnet Plus, which uh, I think is going to be a, a, an awesome way for Canadians to be able to consume the sport. You can watch it really on any sort of device. Yeah. And you can watch the, uh, the events on Sportsnet 360. So uh, very excited to see the UFC join uh, the Sportsnet family. And uh, I'm excited to join the Sportsnet family myself. So uh, I appreciate you guys having me on the big show today. Hey, no, thank you so much. Uh, we're happy to have you. Uh, one of the best in the game uh, talking mixed martial arts, uh, Aaron Bronstetter. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day and enjoy Vegas. Hey, Patrick, Garrett, thank you guys so much. No problem. There you go. This is Aaron Bronstetter. You can follow him at Aaron Bronstetter on X. Uh, covers all things UFC, MMA. Uh, great to have him as part of the Sportsnet roster. We are now the home of the UFC. Got an interview coming up at 930. Going to hit the break here. Uh, Jim York. He's a stuntman. He's uh, he's competing in Nitro Cross for the first time this season. And Nitro Cross will be rolling through Calgary February 2nd and 3rd at GMC Stadium on the Calgary Stampede grounds. Uh, he's a stuntman. He's uh, watched his Instagram last night, watched some of his YouTube. Guy's insane. He does some jumping, some crazy things, and some crazy things. Uh, Jim York joins the show next uh, here on Big Show, Hour 4. Keep it locked right here, Sportsnet 960 The Van. Welcome back to the Big Show, live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls. We have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They are all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Go back down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, Nitro Cross will be rolling through Calgary February 2nd and 3rd. That's next month at GMC Stadium on the Stampede Grounds. And uh, we're going to be joined by one of the drivers right now, Jim York. Uh, you're, you're a stuntman. You, you're your first go around here in nitro cross. Thank you for, for stopping by and uh, taking some time and joining me and talking with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, man. Is, uh, let's talk about your, your background as a stuntman, obviously doing a ton on social media nowadays. Let's talk about a day in the life of Jim York. Ah <laughs> uh, man, it, it changes daily, but uh, it's always a good time. And uh, the fact that I get to live the life I do is pretty awesome. Where I have conversations with companies talking about, "Hey, we should do the world record limo jump," or "Hey, I have this, I have this plan. I want to jump a hot tub. I want to jump a hot tub over, you know, <laughs> over a bunch of semi trucks or something like that." And like, <laughs> it actually comes to fruition. It's amazing. <laughs> and you mentioned, you, you, I believe, you have four Guinness World Records. Yeah, so uh, we have 
the Hearst World Record jump, have the Limo World Record jump, the Hot Tub World Record jump, and now uh, this last year the Station Wagon World Record jump. Station Wagon. Okay. Out of those four, what was the most challenging and maybe what was – I mean, they're probably all fun to jump, but like maybe like I'm thinking like that Limo <laughs> – Getting that enough speed, I, I believe it was the Cadillac. The, the, the was it the Cadillac one with the uh, with the roof the, with the the convertible one, or is it something else? So that was the hot tub one. Oh, yeah, okay. No, uh, the, okay. And that one that one had probably the most people scratching their heads. When you think <laughs> that a gallon of water weighs about uh, eight pounds, uh, and then we add you know eight hundred gallons to the back of oh, a limo, no one knows how that's going to fly. Um, and, but we said this hopefully it works. Everything flies the same. I, ironically, up to about. 70 miles an hour. Let's hope this checks out and see what happens. And uh, <laughs> we're alive to tell the telling. <laughs> yeah. So that one, that one was definitely good. What was uh, some of the, like, I, obviously you've done a, a ton of stunts uh, through your time uh, doing it, but I, I, saw, I saw some bull riding. Like we mentioned the, the limousines. Uh, you were doing a thing with the leaf blowers. What, what are some of the most more crazier things in your mind? Like, man, I probably won't do that again. Oh, man. I Boat racing, uh, offshore powerboat racing, that is the scariest thing. I, we got into that racing with, and then when you have Travis Pastrana as yeah. your throttleman. So <laughs> Travis Pastrana in charge of gas and brake, which boats don't really have brake. He only knows gas. And he only knows gas. I don't know how to drive. He really just knows, like, hey, let's go forward. <laughs> um, it, that was the most terrified I've ever been in any vehicle, and I don't really get to say, like, slow <laughs> down it was just and we're both competitive enough that we don't want to lose even if it like was the cost kind of the boat or sinking the boat um but terrifying i hate water never been never Mm. driven a boat before i said why not and by the skin of our teeth and dumb luck uh we ended up second in the world and we're like hey we took second in the world to our uh our crew chief and team owner who has been the world champion for the last uh decade plus so that's as good as we're going to do let's hang it up and (laughs) no i i could totally i could totally say that yeah i'm the same way around water it's uh it's not it's not always a fun time especially when you got a fast vehicle going over it uh what like you mentioned you got the hot tub yeah you had the the limousine what are what are some of the more crazier vehicles you you may have uh you've driven so we did uh the mint 400 arguably the toughest stage race in North America, and it's or it's a Baja, it's Baja style race, off road race. Excuse yeah. me. And we, I, I had uh, my co-driver. She's like, I want to, I want to race the, the Mint 400. I said, well, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it my way. And so I put a limousine. This was a Lincoln. I put a limousine on 39 inch tires, lifted it, and said, We will race the Mint 400, but we're going to do it in a limo. I'm a limo guy. Um, I just kind of i love something just ridiculous and that car was ridiculous and year one uh we we went for it tried to you know race the race and we were the first and only people to ever finish the mint 400 in the limited. wow no that's that's pretty dang impressive now now where, where do you guys like do do this do you do you have it at, at your place do you have like a compound with like with some acres of land that you can just set up and and do all this type of stuff or is there a certain area like where are you based out of Wherever anybody will let me, I'm, I'm, I'm a, like I said, anybody that says, Hey, you want to come and try this here? Sign me up. I'm in, uh, just like you guys having, having us up to come and race, uh, you know, nitro cross. Yes. Sounds, 
Sounds cold, but sounds awesome. Let's do it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it is cold. I know uh, you, you're here at the time where uh, winter decided to show up. It's been we, it's been balmy <laughs> since uh, since really since the the summer ended. But uh, now uh, you're in a Baja bug uh, here in Calgary at Nitro Cross. Now uh, explain like explain a little bit to our listeners what the Baja bug is because I kind of envision it's it's like a it's a VW bug that can you know maybe is a little bit lifted and can get some off road. So these are about as the, the whole purpose or like the whole philosophy behind the class 11, which is what they technically are. Class 11 is as stock as you can get okay. with being an off-road vehicle. So there's not, I mean, they have the roll cages, they have race seats. When I say stock, there's like, yeah. uh, what are the days of thunder? There's nothing stock. About yeah, it's stock NASCAR. Cars, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But these are, these are pretty well uh, stock motors. Uh, tires are a little bit meatier. Well, and when we're racing the ice, we'll have the, you know, the ice tires and things like that. But no, there's nothing over the top. Like you have the guys that are racing the E-Class that 1,000 horsepower, they're putting power to the ground. These are 100 horsepower uh, bugs. But they're the most fun thing that I race just because it's it's pretty relaxed in a sense, but it's competitive and it's it's so much fun. And I don't know if we've ever put bugs on ice before so mm-hmm. this is going to be super interesting to see if we can even get past turn one or if we all just understeer into the first corner and there's a pile up right there it'll be it'll be awesome either way yeah no that's that's definitely the the wrinkle that the calgary uh race brings in is they 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 line that uh, that infield that usually has horses running on it uh they put ice on it so that, that'll be definitely something interesting to watch again it's february 2nd and 3rd at gmc stadium I don't know, last year, 20,000 people showed up. Uh, I didn't get out to make it, but I'm planning on getting out there this year. Uh, it should be super fun. How's the season been so far for you? Season's been awesome. Um, we we really stepped up uh, the game with the tracks and even the competition. So uh, this is my first time ever hopping in a Volkswagen and driving those. I did that two races ago. Uh, and progressively just getting better. So I, I was leading all but the last lap on uh, in Phoenix and then got taken over and, you know, sit kind of middle of the pack, but we're hoping to turn that around. We've got the, these cars are used to being on desert and dirt. And yep. so are most of the drivers. All of them are <laughs> Southern California guys or, you know, they don't, they don't see snow. They don't see ice. I'm from Salt Lake city where driving in snow and ice is, pretty common uh and so well, i'm hoping that's a competitive edge coming into this one and we'll see what we can do but yeah it should be it'll be a ride either way uh any other racing uh pique your interest i don't know obviously f1's blown up uh, in the united states over the last few years obviously nascar's still rolling uh, do, you, do you like motorcycle do you do you, do you follow money racing or do you, do you have plans to to want to race anything else yeah so um i mean if there's an opportunity that they'll let me drive it. I'm always on board. Uh, I'm always, uh, I love the unconventional style racing. So there's a track down in Florida called the freedom factory where we do a, uh, you get about 40 different, um, crown Vicks together. And we just, you get to race crown Vicks on a circle track, but then we changed the game on top of that. And we raced uh, minivans and called them van free. (laughs) And that turned out to be really cool. Put a small jump in the middle. that was about a foot high and ended up at that, one foot tall jump sent us about 120 feet in the air. So, I mean, all and then 
the vans held up to still able to finish the race. Oh, it was awesome. But, uh, and I'm a big NASCAR guy. I mean, just uh, always liked that growing up as a kid. Yeah, me you too. Had, you know, I'm, I'm the Dale Earnhardt era, but yeah, me know, too. Any, anything that goes fast and anything that's competitive, I mean, that's kind of the whole background of nitro to begin with. If it, it didn't matter if it was foosball or it was a race or it was, you know, an arcade game, just competition. It's, it, Competition with your friends, it's the best thing in the world. It's so much fun. And now we get to do that kind of on a really cool stage. And that's where this and this ice race is going to be anybody's best guess on who's going to come out on top just because, I, like I said, I don't think a Volkswagen Bug has ever raced, I, at least these Class 11s have ever raced on ice. So, yeah, coming to the Stampede is going to be awesome. Yeah, no, I can't wait, man. Uh, you mentioned uh, you did some work there with with Travis Pastrana, and he's he's obviously uh, carried on Nitro Circus. Did you have any interactions with uh, with the late Ken Block? Yeah, so that was that was a tough one. Uh, you yeah. know, we're just past the year mark on mm-hmm. uh, on his deal, and uh, yeah, it it was it was really really tough on kind of everybody. I was you know fortunate enough to be in a couple of. Uh, Jim Connors, which was just mm-hmm. a series that he built and made, you know, just he made proximity driving and his style of driving just amazing and truly just a solid, solid guy. You know, we're all missing it, but it's awesome to see that the Block family is still carrying on. You know, you've got Leah that'll come out and she's racing the next mm-hmm. cars, and then, uh, you know, Micah coming out and racing the side by sides with us. So it's really cool to at least see them carrying on that legacy and excited to see what they can put together in the future no family is racing and, and vice versa for sure uh no matter it's in their blood yeah it, it is uh where can people check out what you're doing i know uh, you've got you got the the channel 199 i believe it's called yep so channel 199 the you know it's the pastrana youtube channel that i'm fortunate enough to be able to be a part of fortunate or unfortunate you know <laughs> careful what you ask for because we always get signed up to do something that you're really not sure of, but that's what makes it kind of fun and exciting. And yeah, so channel 199 on YouTube, and then uh, just come out and check out Nitro Cross because it's it's going to be awesome. Yeah, uh, February second and third at GMC Stadium at the Calgary Stampede. Uh, tickets available uh, on the website, uh, Ticketmaster, wherever you get your tickets. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for for taking time. Uh, hopefully, uh, you get out of Calgary here before it gets really cold tomorrow, and uh, it's not so bad when you come back here in February. Either way, uh, you know, come sun or you know ice or we're driving. Ice or sunshine, we're we're gonna be here. It's gonna be awesome. Uh, it's gonna be <laughs> awesome, buddy. Uh, can't wait. Uh, all the best, and uh, and uh, we'll see you on February second. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate the time. No problem. There you go, Jim York, uh, stuntman, member of the uh, class eleven uh, Baja Blu- Baja Bug. Uh, he'll be driving at uh, the Nitro Cross Round Eight at GMC Stadium, uh, February second and third in Calgary. Uh, what are we talking about here? Uh, Flames, they had a big win there last night, 6-3 mm-hmm. over the Ottawa Senators. Uh, they needed that one in the worst way. Yeah, I think so. Uh, just coming off a loss to the Chicago Blackhawks there and then, uh, you know, playing another team that's, you know, at, at the bottom of the standings here, be having a really tough season with, uh, with the Ottawa Senators. You needed to find a way to get a win in that game, and that's exactly what Calgary was able to do. I, I didn't think it was Calgary's best performance by any means, but it was a performance that was good enough to beat a team like Ottawa. That, that was my biggest mm-hmm. takeaway, right? Yeah, no, you, you needed that one, especially after how Ottawa, how you, you, you played against Chicago there on Sunday. Flames still 
uh, on the outside looking in when it comes to a playoff spot. And really, you know, you know Anaheim did them a favor, I guess, last night with, with Nashville losing. But, but Seattle, man, they keep on rolling. Uh, that's a team that, uh, I guess, currently outside of the playoff spot is, is both Edmonton and Seattle just keep on rolling. Arizona picked up two points as well. Uh, it's going to be a tight one. Flames just two points back of Edmonton. But that's the thing. You're, you're chasing yeah. now the Oilers. Yeah, and we, we man, like when you talk about the first half of the Flames season right now, a big talking point is the start to the year and mm-hmm. just how poor that first 15 game stretch is and that's going to continue to just build pressure on this Flames team because that 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 start matters and it's a big reason why why they're chasing right now and they're going to continue to chase for the rest of the season here. We had Eric Francis on yesterday and mm-hmm. he was talking about how the Flames need to play 600 hockey the rest of the way out to maybe make the playoffs here. It's going to be a tough go when you have other teams like like the Oilers who were off to an even worse start, mm-hmm. but they make a coaching change and they still got two of the best five or whatever you want to call it, the best some of the best players in the world on no, their just, team. You and, look at last that, night, the rest of the team was like the, the Blackhawks were were arguably better in a lot of points in that game and mm-hmm. it was just dry saddled McDavid scoring the two goals and that was enough and uh, just because Chicago didn't have the horses to do it. Yeah, and that, that's the biggest reason why they're back into this playoff mm-hmm. race is because of those those two guys and with, with the flames, it's going to have to be a, a win by a committee thing or, you know, having everyone play not at, at an elite level, but as it, it, it's got to be an entire 12 man unit across the forward mm-hmm. group. It's got to be six men across the blue line. And I feel like Jacob Markstrom isn't going to let this team fall completely out of the playoffs, but he's going to have to shoulder the load a lot to get him into the playoffs. And that's hard way to, to make it, really, if you're relying just on your guy between the pipes. Mm-hmm. And two massive games now for the Flames on the road. They head to Arizona uh, tomorrow, beginning their dad's trip, and the Coyotes there one, just one point up on the Flames. A uh, big win over Boston last night. Might uh, try and link up with somebody down in Arizona to, to chat a little Coyotes tomorrow because uh, Connor Ingram, he was great last night, uh, made great saves in overtime. Uh Clayton Keller, obviously, what he's been doing. You've been liking the Coyotes since Love, like the, the start of the season. You've been loving so. the Coyotes. Like this is, it's been a team that uh, they've done it the right way. Like, like this is a, like as where is you been can, a long road. It's man. been a long <laughs> road for them, and obviously they still play in a in a little in a in essentially a bowling alley type building. It's a junior. Rink. It's a junior rink. It might be even worse than that at yeah. some points, but it's it's nice building. They've renovated it nice. It, it is a quality building, but obviously... And apparently they put on a pretty good show there. Oh, you know for what sure. I mean? like, like, similar I, to what the Roughnecks do, come for the party, stay for oh, the yeah. game. I'm sure it's kind of similar down there in Scottsdale, especially on a college campus. Oh, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, out down there uh, at Arizona State, it, it's going to be fun. And then the Flames, obviously, into the House of Horrors, T-Mobile there on Saturday. Uh, Want to play this. Uh, let's listen to the uh, the head coach from last night, Ryan Huska. He spoke uh, quite lengthy uh, after last night's game. Down, heading into a third period, but you have to fight back from your group in the final 20. Yeah, I, I did. And I, I didn't mind the, the first two periods. I thought we were playing a good game. It's just we we're on the wrong side of the, the score at, at that point. But there was a lot of push from our guys in the third period. And uh, it was really nice to see. This is a tougher game. Like you play the four on the road, we change time zones. You come back for one. Um, so I was really proud of the way the older guys came to play and how the younger guys followed. Um, in terms of those younger guys, I mean, we, we've asked you about Connor's area so many times, but yeah. it felt like in, in big moments he played a big game. Yeah, I thought he was really good tonight. I thought that line again was good, and and Martin in you know a little bit less time on the ice. I thought he had impact tonight too. Um, the straightaway speed. He was physical. He did a lot of good things. So that that line, like we keep going back to it, but they've been really consistent for us this year. 
After the Nashville game, you were sort of asked about him, and he had said that he hadn't liked the way he'd played the couple games previous to that. Um, what's been his key? Because it hasn't felt, you know, as, as not as smart about hockey as you guys, that, that he's had a drop-off as a rookie. But What did it look like? Or? Well, well, just what's he done to sort of stay consistent? Um, I, I think he's, one, he's pushing himself. He doesn't want to leave here. He wants to make sure that he's staying uh, as an NHL player, not just for the foreseeable future, but long-term. Um, and I think he he understands that the way he plays the game when he's when he's sharp and he thinks it well that he has impact every night and that's when he's at his best like you, you see him tonight those are the types of games that he plays he controls the puck he makes good plays with it and he's got great composure what have you seen of his play away from the puck that's evolved since he got here Ryan? Um, <clears throat> I you know he was always a centerman a lot when we looked at him um, so I, I you try to think of him as, as how does he project as a center, but um, after exhibition season, we kind of felt like this guy, because of the, the ability that he has with pucks and um, the energy that he brings around the room, like, it's hard to be a young centerman in this league, and I think his skill set allows him to play really well with someone like Naz, so keeping him on the wall I think has been a good thing. I think he's found a home there, and he'll probably end up staying there. Does it go from playing home that's on quite a hot streak to, oh my God, we almost expect this out of Well, we're probably there now. Like He's done a lot of great things. We've talked a lot about him and Michael, and, and now that line's been back together. I, they have good chemistry, the three of them. So in the offensive zone, they do good things. They're a, a, a trio that does a lot of the heavy lifting in regards to playing against top lines, and they take pride in that. And that line and I also think Elias's line lately with Jonathan and Sharon have had a little bit more life I guess you can say they're making plays and they look like a, a dangerous line more often than not. How do you feel Jan Kuznetsov looked? I thought he looked good tonight. I thought he did a good job for his first game so we're, we're happy that he was able to get it in and now it's the nerves are all gone now it's just try to keep getting better every every game. Did you say something to him when Bounces off him. No, I, I didn't at that time. There's some things you, you can't do anything about. I mean, I, it's a, it was a tough bounce, but I thought he rebounded well. The half and plus five three yeah. points. Might have been his best game I've seen him play. Like he was really good for us tonight. The skating wise, um, how he handled the puck, um, he was in the rush a lot. Um, he did a lot of really good things for us tonight. And whether or not it's dads in town, I don't know. But if that's the case, they should stay here all the time. Talking about Noah and the defenseman joining up on the rush, yeah. do we talk enough about how important the D is to creating offense for this team? Well, if you remember when we were struggling early on in the year, they were the guys that were scoring you know, while we were waiting for everybody else to get warm. Um, and I think it, with the skill set that for sure three of them have, um, they bring a lot to the team because they typically make good reads as to when to go. So it adds another threat and something you have to defend. And we have some guys that are comfortable joining. Throughout the year, we've seen speculation about Noah's future with this club. I was just curious from your vantage point, from what you've seen with him on the ice, how you feel he's been able to play through that and, and, and go about his business on the ice, even though there's been a lot of questions about whether or not he'll stay or get traded. Yeah, I, you know, he's, uh, he's a pro. Um, so whatever shakes out, shakes out. You know, for me, I'd love to see him here long term. Um, but Noah's, uh, I think he understands what, he just loves to play the game. He's one of those guys. So whether there's some noise around him or not, I don't know if that really affects him because he enjoys playing it. So he's, he's done a really good job. Can the dad's trip kind of give your guys a bit of a 
breather from the grind that you're in right now in this I, kind of tough schedule? I think so. And I think that's what helped us today, honestly. You know, this, like I said earlier, it's a tough one coming back after that the four games with different time zones, um, having a, a really poor outing in Chicago. This is a tough one to get up for. And um, as I mentioned, the leaders did a good job. But I also think it's there's a little bit of something extra there when they know dad's watching from upstairs. These are really cool trips, um, not just for the dads, but for the players as well. And even if they've had them on a trip before, it's still the same. It's, it's a really cool thing to be able to do. So we're lucky that our, our players get to have that experience. Michael uh, Backlund sure looked like a proud dad as his daughter was reading the lineup. How, how special of a moment was that? That was pretty cool. There was, a, there was a few little waterworks around our room before the game. I didn't know if that was the best thing, but um, Michael's an emotional guy, and I loved it. His daughter did a fantastic job, so it was a great way for us to get going tonight. Yeah, that was that was really uh, that was awesome seeing that uh, before the game, uh, having Michael Backlund's daughter read the lineup card. Just, just one of the great things we have in our game, and then obviously the dad's trip that the Flames are heading out on. The dads were hanging out last night in the in the booths and whatnot in the suites. Yeah, uh, those, those are funny visuals all the time. Yeah, when every time somebody scores, high five, Hannafin's yeah! dad. Yeah, I know. Rusty Hannafin's Coleman, yeah. show him. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I know the Jets just got off their mentors trip, uh, which took them down to Arizona, and that was that was really fun to see. So, uh, really looking forward to see how the Flames and and, and just, you can't like. You, like Obviously, they pick the sunny destinations for these and whatnot. Like, hopefully, they bring their clubs with them because there'll be some golf, and I'm sure. So, oh, yeah. uh, it'll be fun. Uh, that'll be tomorrow night. Flames and Coyotes will be on the air at six o'clock with your uh, Flames Talk pregame. Seven o'clock puck drop from the Mule Arena down in Tempe at Arizona State. Want to thank all of our guests today: Luke Gazdick, Brent Cron, Aaron Bronstetter. And Jim York, all those interviews will be up. Uh, well, the Bronze Center and Jim York will be up in a little bit, but Gazdick and Cron, they're already up there, hours one, two, and three. Uh, thanks to GVP for making the sound so good. Uh, the Jeff Merrick Show is up next, and uh, it'll kick off the show with Haley Salvian talking a little PWHL. Uh, 1035, Matt Marchese talking. Uh, the Leafs just called up Elias Samsonov from the Marlies, so how is he doing? Uh, 11 o'clock, Greg Wyshynski joins the program. At 11.35, Jay Harrison, former NHLer. Uh, he's a, he's doing a cool thing, wellness transition and performance specialist now for the NHLPA. Uh, they've uh, unveiled a new program designed to support uh, the mental health of uh, of its athletes in this league, and, and it's it's it, that's a good thing. So I'm looking forward to hearing that chat uh, with Jay Harrison coming up at 11.35. Uh, keep it locked right here all day. Sportsnet 960 The Fan.